This week's episode is brought to you by the Mirror Universe, which is where all Avalanche games take place. This has got to be one of the gutsiest clubs in the National Hockey League. It's a breakaway! McKinnon, pure guts! <laughs> they got nothing but guts! Brandon right here with a terrific backhand pass, and look at the patient, my goodness. Guts all over the place, I can't believe it. And after 22 years, Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Steph, and you're locked into Burgundy Radio for March 25th, 2019. Coming up on the show, last week, Rudo predicted six points for the Colorado Avalanche just because he felt like somebody should, and then that's what happened. We'll talk about how and what has to happen next, but before we play the whoosh, Let's talk about our disembodied voices for the week. Over here is Earl. Hello, friends. And over there is Jackie. Bonjour. The landscape this week is very fluid because as we speak, the New York Islanders are hosting the Arizona Coyotes. That's one to nothing in the first right now. And the Avs play Chicago later tonight. But right this second, Colorado have the last wild card spot with 80 points, while Arizona and Minnesota each trail at 79. Nobody else is in this race from the bottom, but Dallas have 82 after dropping two games in a row. By the time you hear this, so could the Avs. Or they could have fallen to ninth with a loss and an Arizona win. But the Avs needed a big week last week, and they got it, starting with a 3-1 win in Minnesota over this stupid wild. Tyson's Barry and Jost score for Colorado, and Ian Cole adds about a 180-foot empty netter. 36 saves for Grubauer, who's been in net all week, by the way. And while that sounds like a lot, shots were actually 38-37 at the end of the day. This was just a high-shooting game. Then on Thursday, Colorado traveled to Dallas and got another 3-1 win. This one over the stupid stars. Barry and Eric Johnson get your goals in this one with the empty netter coming from big old Carl Soderberg. This was a good even game. And then the Avalanche gave up 24 shots on goal in the third, which, last I checked, sort of bad. But a 44-save effort for Philip Grubauer, and nobody noticed because they were all worried about Miko Rantanen, who took an awkward hit into the bench and left, favoring his hip. He hasn't been seen since. He won't be seen tonight. More on that later. Finally, on Saturday, the Avs hosted the Chicago Blackhawks in what's become sort of a neutral site in Denver, and win this one 4-2. They got goals from JT Comfort, Colin Wilson, Sven Andreghetto, and the empty net tally from Derek Broussard. As long as Colorado didn't take penalties, the Blackhawks just didn't look particularly good in this one. So... In a week that the Avalanche needed every win they could get, they got every win they could get. And I didn't say Nathan McKinnon's name once. That's because he didn't score. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it, you know, with, with Landis Gog out and, and Miko out for one game and the last several minutes of the other, um, you know, you, you'd think that would sort of be a, a death knell. You know, six points. <laughs> so I, I, I think that, you know, I, I, I think that even though he wasn't scoring, he was doing a lot of important things. He's, he's about to set all kinds of avalanche records for shots on goal in a season. And I, I think maybe, you know, it, it, he's not really a distraction, but every time he's out there, he's, you know, he's getting the best matchups. Um, you know, he's creating havoc and stuff like that. And if he's not scoring and then the depth guys do when they get the easier matchups, then, you know, that's, that's a pretty righteous strategy. 
I saw a comment about yesterday's game. Like, boy, all this secondary scoring. But at this point, who is primary scoring? McKinnon and... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe Barry? Other than yeah. that, pretty much he is the only thing left of primary scoring. So I wouldn't even call the other guys quote-unquote depth at this point because that's kind of all that's left. So either they score or nobody scores. Yeah, Alexander Kerfoot is playing on the top line. Like, what is depth? <laughs> yeah, I, I know mean, you we've... hate him, but I just, I, you know, I, I think, I, I know you kept marking off yesterday every time he, something died on his stick, but... Oh, that was um, really just in the first period. He had a really disastrous first period and then was yeah. fairly good the rest of the way. Got got himself two assists, and it was just like, all yeah. right. I, I, it was like, I said this in the game day, it was like he his, he didn't have his coffee until the first intermission, and then everything was fine. Yeah. And, I mean, it's, you know, the, the pass he had to Wilson for the power play goal, I mean, that was, you know, that was world class. You know, that was sauce you know, right where it needed to be. Um, what the... I, even Wilson couldn't mess it. Right, well, and Wilson had to make a, a pretty good play on that because it, it, you know, it wasn't flat on the ice in front of him. I mean, he did have to sort of elevate his stick to get it on it, but, you know, that, I mean, that was a nice play by Wilson, but... Um, a lot of what I've seen this year, and Jared Bednar's talked a lot about making Kerfoot shoot more. And it's like, yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, you, you got to put shots on goal. I mean, you know, it's like if you're in the NHL, you got to get about an average of at least one shot on goal per game. I, I get that. But, I mean, Kerfoot is such a wonderful passer. I just, I, I think... I, I think his mind is sort of screwed up on on trying to be more of a a net front guy, and that's just not him. I mean, when he's on that half wall and he's distributing the puck, he's very dangerous. I just you know when he's in front of the net trying to put rebounds in and stuff, I just I don't think that's a great use of his talents. And you know, it's I mean, we've seen that a bunch of times this week. He's just sort of whiffed on great open net chances in front of the net. I mean, that's just not who he is. Oh, I, I think it's I a good sign that he gets one. chances. Yeah. Like someone like Broussard doesn't get a whole lot of chances. He so sure you, you would. <laughs> <laughs> so you would think it's a matter of if, if, if you're getting chances, you're doing something right. Right. But that's not a skill set. It's sort of like Calvert having those same chances. It's like, great, you're in the right well, place, but it's not helping. I mean, yes and no. I mean, sure, anybody should get credit for getting chances, even Calvert. Yeah. It's just, his problem is he doesn't have the skill to convert on it. So I guess the question with Kerfoot is, is it that he doesn't have the skill to convert on it, like a Calvert? Or is it just a matter of bearing down or getting luckier or whatever. I, I, I just think Kerfoot's more of a perimeter player. And I, you know, I'm not saying that disparagingly. I think he's a good player. I think, I, I think his greatest strengths are when he can sort of look at the whole ice and take in the whole situation and pick apart a defense. You know, I think if he's standing in front of the net, trying to put 
put in rebounds or grind out something like that. It's just, it's, it's a little bit too far out of his comfort zone for him to be really effective. I've noticed he has good chemistry with Gerard, which, you know, he, he, who doesn't? <laughs> well, a lot. I think a lot of them do. I think a lot of them are surprised when they get the puck from him. And I think Kerfoot's actually somebody that can anticipate it. And that could be an avenue towards scoring points at some point if he can do something with those passes. And I even looked. They're, they're 53% Corsi 4 together as a pair. So it's not just my observation. But if I think that could be a a match that could lead to some scoring in the future. Yeah. I mean, and we've seen all season that, well, I mean, we saw in the early season, how effective the second unit was with those two basically running it. <laughs> um, and Hey, and, that that's, that's how they scored on. The, and it was a five on three, but it was Sam to Kerfoot to Wilson on the right. power play in the last game. Yeah. Um, it took an active know, I, guy I, to I, get that puck in though. That was right. Hilarious. <laughs> And I'm not sure, but that, I think that might have been the Avs' first five-on-three goal of the season. I think they've had another one. Hmm, that um, would be a good fact. I'm not sure. That, that's I what you call a fun cause... fact. I don't think they've <laughs> had a lot of five-on-threes. Yeah, that's true, too. They're, the team are much more likely to take penalties than draw them. It's, it's been a while that they've had a five-on-three, I feel like. But um, yes, that would be a good fun fact to look up. I, I definitely, like, I, I like this conversation because Kerfoot is a really smart player and I, I being around the he net... He went to Harvard. And, yeah, he sure did. And, <laughs> and trying to, being around the net trying to finish chances, either that's just not particularly his game, so it's just not how his mind works, or when he gets there, he just kind of chokes a little bit, one or the other. But with him being yeah. a, a smart player, a lot, like, with his game being based so much around awareness and prediction and positioning... Of course he's going to work well with, with Sam Gerrard because he's ready for some of the crazy things that Gerrard can pull off. Speaking of Sam, that was, we had a monstrous game against Chicago yesterday. And but just as an aside here, fun fact, that was the Avs' first five-on-three goal of the year. Thanks for oh, okay. Good to know. Yeah, I think Sam's had a great game. Spoiler alert, he might be one of my stars. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. He's... Yeah, He's he, had a great he definitely week. deserves it, um, especially for the Stars game, um, where he basically created most of the offense. Well, that move <clears throat> on the blue line was something else. Yeah. And anyone who um, watched that game knows what I'm talking about immediately. Yeah. Um, there's, so, yeah, you know, the puck I, control. I, I, <clears throat> He's had a He's had a good week in general, but... Um, and I, I think he and Barry together have really had a good week. I, you know, we'll, we'll save this for the stars, but um, you know, th those guys have been pretty key to the Avalanche generating some offense while uh, Landeskog's been out, and you know, Miko Miko's probably been dealing with a, a an owie for a long time, and then just kind of finished it off in Dallas. So yeah. I mean. It, because that was kind of like a nothing hit, right? Like he, he didn't get hit like terribly. He didn't get hit real hard. He was just kind of awkward looking. And then the, yeah. his reaction was just spot. like, it was like, it was just kind of a God damn it kind of reaction. Not a, uh oh, I'm hurt. 
and it's weird. It's very similar to what we saw Malosh going through a lot this this year. It, you know, it, I don't know exactly what's what, what has been wrong with Malosh, but uh, you know, I think he's had some sort of core injury, which is what it sounds like it is with Miko. And it's just it's it's so hard to deal with that. As I mean, it's like anything you do on the ice, you're using your core. And as an aside, he was back this week, and I thought he played fantastic. So if the Avs aren't seeing it, then that's just a shame because he, he's been so good over the last, I'd say, several months. And for him to miss a couple weeks and come back and just kick ass right away, I, I think should be an eye-opener to everybody that this kid is ready for the next step. So you're saying they should play eight defensemen and ten forwards now? Well, would that be I worse? Know, I know we're not going to see it, <laughs> but it's it's a shame that they won't make a plan to see him. So because they pl- they've been playing seven and eleven all week, like we've seen <clears throat> lots of opportunities for Ryan Graves to be in the lineup alongside all the other six regulars, and uh, just kind of left a donut in the fourth line that's usually filled by Miko some or by uh, by McKinnon sometimes by Carl. Um, but usually McKinnon. And so instead of calling up and playing AJ Greer, they're just going with Bork and Agazino and empty space. And as, as, uh, as useless as this all sounds, it's working. Well, you always yeah. kind of see that when a star goes down that the rest of the team, they all know they need to pick up more slack. It happens. It's, it's a pretty common phenomenon, but... If if and we really don't know how long Miko's going to be out. Like, usually you can read the injury tea leaves. They're being really secretive about this one. That the vibe I get is not like he's going to be out till the end of the season. No, but they're definitely being very cagey about is this kind of a a true day to day thing or more like a day-to-day that's a week-to-week kind of thing. So it's really hard to guess if we're even going to see Miko in this coming week. But if he's out, say, for the whole week, they're going to start to feel it because they did okay without Landeskog. But when you take out the just the dynamic quality of Miko, and he was playing well, even though he was probably struggling through some sort of injury up to this point he really was making a difference on the ice with what he was doing and they're gonna miss that and if their idea is just to use Agazino for six minutes a game to fill that void not that you can ever fill Miko's void but still you have to be able to do better than that well they did call yeah, up thinking... today they did and we will see if he plays did he even go on the plane to Chicago? No, because he, he played yeah. for the Eagles last <laughs> he, night. He was in Loveland last night. So then is um, he in a car flying across the Midwest right now? Yes. Yeah, he's in an Uber for 1200 bucks going to Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> Get there five minutes before the puck drops. I would <clears> imagine <throat> that they knew. Well, they already said yesterday Miko wasn't going to play today. I figured they knew this, so he probably knew that he'd be going to Chicago, say, this morning. I mean, I know I don't give the Avs much credit for having a plan, but they literally at least had to have planned for this. Yeah, and luckily, you know, I mean, it's it's hub to hub, so it's, you know, Denver to Chicago is about the easiest 
flight schedule you can get. Mm-hmm. Lots but, of options, but then you're now you're flying HA Career commercial to the uh, to the game. Yes, it it's it does seem silly. It's it's not like I mean, this is something they do continually throughout the year is they just dwindle their extra numbers. Someone else goes down, they don't get anyone else. Someone else goes down, they don't get anyone else until they have zero extras. And right, you're at a point where even if it's planned, you're flying in your extra player the morning of a game when you should have I mean, just the thing is, they're, have they're an really extra player. They're really only playing 16 skaters during the games. Barely. <laughs> Probably more like 15. Right. You know, they're they're really going with about nine forwards and six defensemen during the game. So it's just silly. It, it's silly that they are at this point. They're trying to make the playoffs. They have a decent shot at it now. They've actually won some games. And you you don't even have a full roster. You have you're missing players. It's like what what would have happened if if either of these guys went down in the middle of the season like hey Miko's out for four months what are you gonna do why do oh, you not have anybody a whole lot of games <laughs> <laughs> they kind of already did that so yeah it, it's just it's baffling to me it's like it's not just about Greer it's about why do you not have any forward that you are willing to play like a normal player at this point the best just, you can I, do. I, I, I think their usage <laughs> tells you all you need to know about what they're trying to do. I mean, they, they, you know, they have about eight or nine guys they feel like playing at forward, and you know, the rest are just filler. <clears throat> I mean, I, I don't really problem? agree with that. I mean, I, I you know, <laughs> I, I fully believe that when you can roll four strong lines, and that's the big difference between sort of this week and the streak that we saw going into the deadline is the fact that going into the deadline, they really were using 18 skaters regularly on a nightly basis. And this time they're not. You know, this time they're just, you know, they don't have set lines that much. Um, you know, it's it, it's calmed down a bit. Like the the Minnesota game, there were no set lines whatsoever. I mean, it was totally random. Yeah, I don't know and what the hell that it, was. Yeah, and, you know, JB said after the game that was sort of, you know, keep the opponent guessing kind of thing and use what you got, whoever's playing well, you know, and it. <clears throat> we, we saw a couple of too many men penalties over the week, and that's sort of the casualty you have with that. Um, so, I mean, I you know, I, I think there's something to be said for some set lines and then, you know, putting McKinnon out with some extra shifts and things like that. Um but it's like you know, take you know, take take what the Avs fourth line is now, Borkin and, and Agazino and someone else. It's like, do you really need to waste McKinnon's time on the ice and effort with those two guys? You know what what does that get you? It, it doesn't get you much. I mean, you may as well put them out. Um, I don't know, with, you know, with Calvert and Jost or something like that. I mean, you're you're going to get a lot more out of it. So, I mean, I, I see what they're doing from that perspective, but it, you know, when you're playing McKinnon over 24 minutes a night, you know, you, you're you're going to have to pay for that down the road because you know he's taken wear and tear, and you know he's not resting as as much as he he could. So, um, you know, they're doing what they have to to get into the playoffs, but it's just they're they're just using him up big time. 
Well, right now, the, the roster has constructed, they don't have a fourth line that can take a regular shift. And that's almost, you know, entirely their own fault. Because like, like you said, before the trade deadline, they did have a fourth line that could take a regular shift. And then they decided, ah, we just don't trust AJ Greer. We don't want to keep Dominic Toninato. See ya. And though, of course, they had Mac or had a Gabe and Miko then, but now that they don't, they still don't want to bring up players that can actually take a regular NHL shift. And it's it's slightly mind boggling. It it yeah. is. It's it sounds like not a big deal. Like we're just sitting here complaining about the fourth line, but it's the how you arrive at that. How do you get to a point where you are so afraid of anybody that you could call up? Like, why isn't anybody, if it's not, is it a talent issue? Is it a preparation issue? Is it a roster construction issue? Why isn't anybody able to come up from the AHL and play, get played like a regular player? It's just bizarre. I mean, they they play when they knew Miko wasn't going to play yesterday. What? Why wasn't an eagle called up for yesterday to sit in the press box in case somebody steps on a puck and warm up and twist their ankle? <laughs> they just play with a short lineup. It wouldn't make a lick of difference. My big question here is, you know, and and we've seen McKinnon go through the week. Yeah, I mean, he's he's looked okay, and he's. You know, he shot the puck a lot and it just doesn't have anything to show for it. But would he be more productive if he was playing 21 minutes instead of 24? I think so, too. And, and that's I where think the fourth line comes in to, to my thinking is that, you know, people say that the fourth line doesn't make a difference. But it's like the three minutes that they take that McKinnon doesn't have to play might make him better in the other 21 minutes that he does play out there. So it's just... <clears throat> you know, that's where I think you can gain something from having a fourth line that you that you can put on the ice and, and be comfortable with. Yeah, I don't think there's any evidence that overplaying anyone makes their production better. Like we see with EJ, it's funny they dress seven defensemen, and then I, th- I think it was the Dallas game. EJ's there over twenty three minutes. It's like why? Yeah. Good question. So and I I would say what before we move on I would say one big difference between this streak and the previous streak is this streak has a lot of contribution from defensemen and I don't know if that's something you can really count on to continue. Yeah, the, the kind of the characteristics of the streak is where we're going next. So in this isn't before we move on, this is actually moving on. Okay, perfect <laughs> um, then. <laughs> But it's, it's obviously been a big week for Tyson Berry, and you can't rely on that every single game, but he should have big games for you. That you can count on. Uh, Ian Coles is an empty net. But then your yeah, but he's been... goals are... Like... Yeah, I think he had a couple points also. Yeah. Maybe maybe I... not in this, in this last four games, I think. Cole? Well, Cole, got, Cole took off the mask, um, I think, at the beginning, like about a, about nine days ago. And he's been playing with only a shield since then. And he's really looked a lot better. Um, you know, not 
you know, he's he's been better offensively. That's not really what I care about with him, although it's nice to get his contributions. But he's just he, he's been able to, you know, handle the puck in the defensive zone a lot better this week. Noticeably better. So the reason I want to talk about kind of the character, like kind of characterize this streak, just kind of talk about, um, oh boy, I, I got to look away from my computer. <laughs> I've got the Islanders game on and for some reason they've put up like a still of uh, their, their next game to, you know, advertise buying tickets and shit. And it is not still, it is vibrating. Okay, thank God I moved on. Oh, that hurt my eyes. <laughs> Maybe it's an extra special game. Anyway, um, for epileptics, yeah, God, that was painful. So this this streak has had a lot of solid work from Philip Grubauer that cannot be understated. Definitely, um, right. But at the same time, we've also seen a lot of you know we, we've seen some luck go the Avalanche way too in a big way. We've seen Jason Zucker miss an open net four times in one game. We've seen shots trickle through Grubauer's legs and still you know miss the net. I mean. Yeah. How yeah, real? Minnesota lot, definitely missed a lot of opportunities. And who was it yesterday? Was it Debrinket that put one through Gruby's legs and it just barely grazed the far post? It was somebody. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, the, the Hawks were getting some chances that were just magic bullshit too. Um, you know, I, I, I would have felt fairly, you know, that that. These two games meant a lot more to the Hawks than they did to the Avs. Um, like the Avs could split this series and still be pretty comfortable where they are, but the Hawks really needed to take both if they were going to stay in it. And you know, losing yesterday pretty much finished them off. I mean, you know, they could they could come back, but you know, well, they, they, they're they six points out today. and not a lot of games left. Chicago so, has to win today. Like it's I, much I mean, I think even if they do, it's still a lost cause. So, um, I just totally lost where we were at. We were talking about how Groovy was, you yeah. know, both lucky and good. Yeah, okay. <clears throat> but, like, obviously he's been much, 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 much better this spring than he was in the winter. Yeah. And the fall, but especially the winter. Um, it, is there anything that we noticed that he's doing differently that um, that may be driving that? You think? Um, a it lot of people like keep little... saying he's tracking the puck better, and that's not something that I'm gifted enough to notice. But I mean, obviously, he's coming up with pucks that he didn't. <laughs> so, um, I didn't read the piece from Ryan Clark, but supposedly it was about him saying that he simplified his game. Yeah. Um, and then just, this this would be a good thing for Ruda if Ruda was here because he's you know he's been on this for a while, is that he's been tracking the puck a lot better, and part of that is whatever he's doing, some of that is the Avs not having their butts in his face all the time when they're trying to play defense in front of him. Um, you know he's he is able to see shots better. It's it's obvious, and. So, you know, when they start collapsing, I think we do see some problems creep in. And, you know, when, when they are a little more active and a little play a little further away from the net, I, I 
you know, I, I think he likes that and thrives on it. I think it is something we noticed even back in the Nashville game, which I think was the first game of his kind of turnaround. Yeah. Was he just seemed a lot more comfortable. He seemed like he knew where the puck was. I don't know if that kind of break that he had, I, I don't remember exactly how long it was, but for the better, for most of a month, it seemed like he had a break. So I don't know if he kind of needed that to either reset or refresh or whatever. Yeah, the Nashville game, I think he had been off for 12 days at least. It might, I think it actually was 15, something like that. Because at this point, you'd say it's momentum, it's confidence, he's building on it. But when he looked comfortable, even just from the beginning of that, you would wonder if it was something that he did off the ice, if it was the time away, if it was something he did with Parkila, whatever it was, it seemed like he solved an issue that he was having. And it helped him start to play better. Yeah. And it's kind of weird that since then, like Varley was red hot. You know, coming into that game, Varley had played really well for like the past, you know, two weeks that, you know, he had every start for about two weeks going into that game. And pretty much since then, Grubauer has looked better than Varley. Definitely. Um, no, I don't really think some of that lost. is quality of competition because sort of after the deadline, Varley was playing tougher competition and more often, you know, he got six out of 10 starts right after the, the deadline. And, you know, he, he got two out of the three playoff team matchups, things like that. <clears throat> but, you know, it's like they, they started playing Gruby basically on weekends. And then it's just, you know, he's been playing so well that, you know, he finally took over this week. Yeah, like he got the Buffalo in New Jersey, and then obviously this week he played the big games. Yeah. But I, I wouldn't say Varley in this stretch had been terrible. Like you said, he got kind of the tougher ones, the ones where you could definitely say were defensive breakdowns. Like in all those yeah, games, yeah. you could maybe put one goal on Varley, maybe letting in one he shouldn't, but it wasn't like two or three or four. So... You know, to completely put Varley on the shelf. Like, I hope Varley plays tonight because, and another reason why you don't really halt Grubauer's momentum by overplaying him. Like, if he plays the next game against Vegas on Wednesday, that's fine. Like, it's almost worse to play Grubauer. Maybe he's tired, maybe he has a, a, a little bit worse of a game. Then, then it's kind of like another little step back. I think giving him this game off keeps his momentum going rather than halting it. And I think this would be a perfect one to play Varley in. So we'll see what they decide. Oh, it's in Chicago. Right. It, and, and right, I if mean, you're going to play we, Varley anywhere, play him in Chicago. Yeah, and it's like, you know, playing goalies back-to-back and, and for the third time in four nights is just, you know, you, you don't do that. We saw what happened earlier this yeah, season. Yeah, it happened twice, and, yeah. and he didn't have his best, and I think it was a step back, so... yeah. Just giving him one night off isn't is it like saying you're not our guy anymore. It's just, it's normal. Yeah, start, starters have games off. It happens. It's fine. It's normal. Unless you're the Arizona Coyotes who are playing camper in a 17th straight today. <laughs> and they played yesterday, they too. <laughs> so, yeah. Fun times there. Um, but generally... Like, even just outside of just group hour, 
I really don't believe the Avalanche can play this way and expect to finish out the year in a playoff spot. If there's some things that they really need to, to clean up, like, badly, they're just... I don't feel like they're on the same level as a lot of other teams. The, the way that they can get in playing this way is Grubauer continues to be awesome, and the teams around them just fall. Which which yeah. I think is possible, because I think Minnesota and Arizona both are pretty flawed. And I, I think the Avs can be streaky, as we've seen this stretch. We, we've seen it throughout the year. So I wouldn't bet against it necessarily, but especially if they don't have Miko, it just seems like they don't have a whole lot that they can fall back on. They're either, like you said, basically hoping for Grubauer to stand on his head for the next two weeks is pretty much what they're banking on. Like, if you give up 24 shots in two periods, you're not real happy about it. You, you can't give up 24 shots in one period. Yeah. That's not okay. <laughs> Yeah, and you know Dallas was the toughest matchup this week, and you know that that's you know that's basically what we saw is that they just you know they shelled up big time in that game and got lucky. Um, you're not going to do that five six times over the rest of the games left and, and come out of it in in any kind of decent shape. So. <clears throat> um, you know, I mean, do you guys think that? Do you guys think that the Dallas third period issue was just Dallas being that much better? Do you think it was the Avs being tired, or were they bad, or you know, what what did you all see in the third period there? I, it, it's it's always tough to say when a team's trying to come back because you're always going to get that score score effect type play, but certainly twenty four shots is is a whole lot more than just score effects. I, I don't know. I didn't see anything in particular. I think it's just kind of the chaotic I mean, nature of the way they play, just throwing whoever out onto the ice. Yeah, I mean, I think that was part of it. <clears throat> they definitely were not pressing whatsoever in the offensive zone. And, I, and you know, I, I anytime you do that, you're, you know, you're going to get buried like that. But... <clears throat> um, you know, I, I really think the lack of effort of doing anything besides dumping and changing uh, led to a lot of, you know, that 24-shot barrage. And, you know, obviously there were some long shifts in, in the defensive zone, and you, you just kind of have to do that. But, um, you know, it, it it looked to me like they were a little bit tired and they just, you know, they didn't have what it took to put on some offensive pressure to, you know, give give Gruby a break, give the defense a break. And, you know, that's just that that's something that's been a chronic issue with the Avs for a long time that they've kind of got away from this year. Like they've I think also you know, that they really was haven't when they shelled were, up that much, you know, obviously they, they were won that much either. Really burning out EJ and I think McKinnon in that game now. Right. That that's when I think EJ played not you know nine minutes or something in that period. Like he didn't leave the ice. It was like his partner kept changing, but he didn't leave the ice. And, and I yeah, was that was terrible. like Boschman territory. Right. It, it's just it like you said. It doesn't make anyone play better. It doesn't make you leave your zone any better. It doesn't make you create offense in the offensive zone any better. It's just I don't know if that I think it was that game where Mosier actually praised Borg for chipping the puck out, which. 
with no pressure. Yeah, when yeah. you're when you're in a in a period like that where the the, the other team's just coming at you, it does you, it just doesn't change anything. You could chip it out for a second and then they're set back up in your zone. Like it, it just it's not a winning strategy and it it does seem like they kind of shelled up back to the Wa era like just completely passive, just chip the puck out if you can. Don't even try to do anything on the, at the under end of the ice. And you get the same results. Yeah, the one thing that I noticed from a lot of the, the TOI charts and stuff like that was that Nemeth, EJ, Bork, and Calvert um, took more shifts relative to sort of their regime for the, the earlier part of the game in the third period there. So, it, <clears throat> I mean, that, it's, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy for me. I mean, it's like... You put those guys out because you're they're good defensively, and you end up having them on the ice too much and getting buried. And it's just, you know, it's like if you use the other guys, you can't be afraid to put like Kerfoot and Sam out there and have them, you know, get the puck out of the zone quicker. You know, you can't sit there and say like, well, gee, if those guys get trapped in the zone, they're not going to block all the shots that we want them to, and things like that. It <clears throat> when you put Bork in Calvert um, on the ice that much, you're, you're, you're just going to get buried. I mean, you're, you're, you're basically playing a five man PK and, and it's, you know, I, I don't see how that's constructive. I, you right. Know, I just, it's I like, I think if, it's lazy coaching. If they're not out there all the time, then when they are out there, then they are providing something different. Right. I think this game specifically um, just kind of shows that, a couple of things. One of them was that the, was that uh, there was a big problem with the with it being seven D and Miko Ranson and goes down. I mean, you end up playing ten forwards. So they're gonna be wore out. So that that was a factor. Um, but as as you continue to rely on these you know these players on your on your roster that you trust to play defensively and safely and not lose you the game, you're that was really based on who they are and not the game they were having. Because at no point in that Dallas game did Derek Johnson look good. No. If, if you go out and you give us 28 minutes and you lock the defense down, then we're singing your praises all day long. But there were he had how many controller disconnects in that game? I mean, it yeah. was rough. <clears throat> yeah, and that's, because, it's, it, it's tough for me to justify that kind of coaching decision. And I realize, you know, it's like, you know, every game is so important. You know, it's like, And we lost Earl. Um, yeah, <laughs> but like it, it, it sounds like we're we're trying to microanalyze everything here. But what it comes down to is that the coaching decision isn't to play your best defender; it's to play Eric Johnson because you play Eric Johnson. He was not the Avs' best defender that night. Like by well, it was even stranger in the Chicago game because again they have seven defensemen dressed, and they actually played Graves less than Agazino. I think they played Graves like six and a half minutes, which is just crazy for dressing a defenseman. So you're, ba you're basically not even using him. I think he had one shift in the first period, and it, it's... It's just why even bother at that point. And it's like, they, they want to use the guys they trust, which is understandable, but it... But like we're saying, it's showing that just completely leaning on them and overplaying them doesn't make you play better. 
the point of having a team is to have different people that can contribute in different areas. And of course your better players will contribute more, but yeah, I don't, it, it is coaching, but then this is also something, uh, a hallmark of the organization. So I don't know if it kind of goes hand in hand. I, d- I don't know where you arrive at when you, you just can't use any extra player. Because, and I yeah. think what Earl was trying to say, if, if you're saying this game is so important that you can't play one person that hasn't been on your roster for like 50% of the season... And you're basically going to try to get into the playoffs with like, basically like 14 main players, and everyone else doesn't matter, is is what they're trying to do. Yeah, it's tough, and especially when they had such a long period of poor play. <clears throat> um, I mean, those were the times when you set guys up like Toninato and Greer and whoever else you want to pick out, even O'Connor. Let's say it's like you could bring those guys up. And, you know, get them ready so that you can feel comfortable putting them out in a situation like the third period in Dallas. Right. That's what I we've all been saying and I've been saying all year is you have to plan for these things. Like, you know, you always say, well, it's not a big deal. We'll call them up later. We'll call them up after the deadline. Well, this and that. And it, we always arrive at the same point that after the deadline, it's like the playoff push is so important. You can't yeah. even think about adding somebody new. Like, God forbid you. There's no way they would bring up Cowder, Malosh, or anyone new now. Because it's just so important. And it's just... It's disappointing. I'm very disappointed. Because it's just the same stuff over and over and over again. Disappointed, but not surprised. Um, but yeah. but just to keep it more on the less on the macro and more on the micro level... Um, I'm going to take it in a slightly different direction, which is that if you're playing seven defenders, you're doing that so that you can lean on your top players at the end of the game. So if if Ryan Graves ends up with five or six minutes in all situations, that's because you didn't use like he's not he's not on the roster to hold a lead down in the third. He's there to help spell your other defenders in the first and second period, so they're more fresh to close things down later. A story that we told a lot earlier in the season, and some of this was getting fooled by shooting percentage, and we definitely recognize that now, but the Avalanche remain a a team that scores a lot of goals in the third period, and part of the way that they did that was they would wear you down over the game, and then later on, you just don't have the legs to keep up with what was at the time the three-headed monster line with Mac, Miko, and Gabe. But if they're tired too, because they're being overplayed, then you don't have that effect anymore. (laughs) And is right. also part of that because they weren't winning for like three months. I, uh, I, I'm not sure how that plays into a within game situation. Just that they were behind. So if you're behind, you're going to push in the third period. And if that's basically how you needed to play for three months, mm. you'd have more goals in the third period. I think they're pretty much split evenly now between winning stretches and losing stretches. So I, I think that all kind of balances out. I think it does too, but it. <clears throat> I, I think Jackie's got a point there, is that the advantage that they really harped on, you know, not only this season but last season as well, is the fact that their conditioning is going to allow them to wear teams down. And the fact is that you know, if you don't play, if you don't play a full roster and spread out the minutes in at least the first period and hopefully the first half of the game, then 
you know, that, that advantage is, is pretty much neutralized in the third period. I feel like they play better when they score first. I, I think that's a huge key. I also I believe the does. record shows that. <laughs> well, yeah, but I think they've shown they can come back. It's not like they haven't had their share of third period comebacks, but definitely them scoring first and being able to dictate the game helps big think- time. I'm going to disagree I, I with think... you there that they're not good with when trailing basically at all. This is a very fragile team that gives up one and then immediately gets ready to give up another. Oh, there's definitely some of that, too. I'm just and saying I, they I... have had some comebacks, but they've certainly had collapses where they just pack it in, too. And this is a whole nother can of worms, but I, I think the poor power play plays into that. And a lot I of people... Too. I, I think a lot of people look at it and they're like, well, they're eighth in the league. That's pretty good. And, you know, that's right. They, you know, their scoring efficiency is eighth in the league and their, you know, goals for per hour is eighth in the league. But they're, you know, their shots per hour is more like 20. Well, you also have to uh, take out the first month when they were 32% on the power play and look at what they've done since then is not eighth in the league either. Right. But the, I mean, the fact is they're scoring on the power play seems random to me and i know that like you can't score more when you're trying harder or when you really need it but the the fact is they can't count on their power play to come back well we've seen it plenty of games where they lose momentum off of a poor power play right and that's hurt them Um, a lot and that's something you're not going to see in the box score or in the highlights the next day and and, and yeah, and they just, you know, if they're down by one in the beginning of the third period and they get a power play, you're just like, you know, I, you know, th- this is great. They won't be forced into their own zone right now, but, um, you know, I, you just don't have any confidence that they'll score. I mean, it just seems to me that they get a lot of goals on the power play that probably aren't as meaningful as they could be. Um, it seems like they, you know, they might take advantage of weaker teams and get a couple goals here and there. Like I know last year that they would rack up goals against weaker teams, you know, two or three in one game and then go several, you know, a week or two without scoring one. Yeah. We so, had like five for five. I think it was against Chicago. Right. And that, that changes your percentage. Well, where they're going to miss Miko is he's, he scored a big part portion of their power play goals, especially yeah. lately. If Miko's out twice a while, as many power play goals as anyone else. Yeah. So if he's out for any extended period of time, then And Barry for all his power play prowess, I think he's got two or maybe three now. Um you know and, and At most, they yeah. basically yeah, they they run the power play through him, so it's just um you know, it, it it does get increasingly harder to score on the power play as you get, you know, towards the end of the season and into the playoffs. So it's you know, that's something that's going to turn around into being a real weak point. And, you know, people are going to say, like, well, they're, you know, they're eighth during this season and what's happening. And, you know, it, it, it'll be like when we were going into the series versus Nashville last year, I said several times, I really think the Avs are going to, you know, win the power play battle and that's you know that's a good reason why they could win this series and it's like they got smoked both on pk and power play and yeah those are big factors in in the playoffs because you need to be able to count on converting yeah 
more the more so the penalty kill to me than the power yeah. play because you can't you can't expect to get a call at, in the in the playoffs, but you can expect to take a call at the worst possible time, and you need to be able to kill that off. Right, and that's it. the the power play wasn't as bad as the PK. Like Nashville really picked apart our PK, which was you know on paper the best part of the team last year. Yeah, it was it was good. It did a lot of good things that it no longer does. But we've had that conversation four hundred times. <laughs> <clears throat> it was oh. good yesterday against Chicago. It will have to be tonight. Yeah. Hopefully, it like doesn't with... matter because even though it's a sludge game and the Avalanche are missing some of their best scores, they just walk into the UC and put up a Brazil. Yeah. Just don't even let it be interesting. Yeah, so, this would be the time for a quick start. It sure would. Let's look at uh, the weak stars and scratches. I think we have some pretty obvious answers this week if we want to just go ahead and rattle those off. Um, mine's yeah, like for Sam Gerrard. He's had a great week. Three points. He set up both goals in Dallas beautifully. Very awesome plays that he made. And he, you might not see it in the Corsi yesterday, but Sam also had, he had a great game against Chicago. I think he's been good for a while. I think I always say it was like whatever it was going back home to Montreal in the Habs game. It, he's been great since then. You know, maybe a little here and there, but who hasn't on this team? But ever since then, he's been fantastic. And you know, if it takes a few few of his plays and moves to create goals for people to see it, then perfect. But he's he's been a big part of why they've actually won games lately. Well, everyone agrees that Sam brings a skill set to the to the Avs blue line that nobody else really does. He's the only one who is, you know, ex just highly skilled at exiting the zone. Um, but what you've seen a lot of Avs voices and analysts and commentary saying, you know, I was really hoping to see Sam Gerrard take another step this year. And while he's been great, that he hasn't really taken an extra step. I think this week he started to look like the, that next step may be coming. He's been fantastic. I think defensively yeah. he's been a lot. Like I said, ever since you know January, I think defensively he's been very, very good. But I yeah, know everyone that... keeps looking for the points, and I think that's something <laughs> that he's starting to rack up. Right. If it takes points for him to get credit, I I get that. Like I get that he has forty, fifty point potential. A lot of that is going to be contingent on him ever getting power play one if Barry moves on or whatever. But, like, he makes plays that a lot of players don't convert on, and I think... He got EJ a goal. I mean, that never happens. <laughs> like, it, it's a fair <laughs> thing to say that you hope that his production goes up, but I think if you watch him play and you see what he's doing, I, I just don't... It's mind-boggling to me that anybody would consider him disappointing because I think he, he has taken an obvious step. And he's doing so many good things out there that I I have no idea how you could be disappointed in his play. I, there's always room for improvement. He's young and all that, but he's just such a key piece to this team already. Star number two. Um, I gave Sven an honorable mention last week, and I'm actually going to give him a full star this week. Um, I know that's, you know, it's sort of out-of-the-box thinking and all that, but he's got 
you know, he, he's got two goals and two assists in his last five games, and he's playing a, a solid two-way game that we really haven't seen since he's come to Colorado. I mean, he's always, you know, he's always been able to generate shots, and, and he's a bit of a zone entry wizard and things like that, but um, Maybe he doesn't some... play a lot, but when he is on the ice, he's really contributing sort of in a 200-foot in a way. And I, I, you know, I do think with with Gabe and Miko out, that's it's important that you have guys that can, you know, go from seven to ten minutes and give you three extra quality minutes like that. So I, you know, I've, I've just been impressed with his play lately. Giving him some PK times helped. Yeah. I, think, I think it does help giving guys an extra role. With just, this is kind of maybe like the Tyson Jost issue is he. Maybe give him some extra things to do would help him, but um, I worry it's a li- too little too late with Sven, but I agree. At least he's someone you can play more and it's not worse. Yeah, he's fast and that's, you know, he's able to play fast now. It's like when he's not playing much, when he's only playing like six, seven minutes and sometimes out of the lineup, it's like he doesn't get engaged in the game enough to really use his speed. Um. So, you know, I, I think they've kind of found a sweet spot that we found before, and sometimes he always falls out of it. But, um, you know, playing around 10 minutes and being able to contribute the way that he has over the past couple of weeks, you know, it's it's nice to be able to, to say, like, all right, this is a guy that, that's, you know, playing some quality depth game right now. Well, that leaves me to share the final star between Tyson Berry and Philip Grubauer, and that, that seems unfair. Yeah, um, yeah, that's true. Those were the obvious ones. Like Gruby yeah. was no question first star of the week, and Barry was close. I would also like to give an honorable mention to Jost. He had a huge goal in that Minnesota game, and he has been playing pretty decent lately. Yeah, he's looked okay. Yeah, still not like amazing, but he's looked okay. Yeah, I mean, you look at his production. I don't think goals is the issue. It's the assists. I mean, if you look at only his 12 assists, you kind of wonder why. That's kind of strange. He's like, not a I know playmaker, though. He's not, but you know what I mean. That's kind of really the difference that you look at at his production, and you wonder, you wonder what kind of player he's going to be like. I think he's always going to have close to the same amount of goals and assists. I, I, he's a shooter as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, that's I know the, I mean, disagree, there's nothing... but when when you're an off in an offensive role with offensive players, you should kind of get a, a few more assists from o- osmosis. I think maybe the guys he plays with need to score more. <laughs> <laughs> well, that too. At some point, someone will probably dig into his on ice shooting percentages, and we'll find out how much of that we can really point at him. But for right now. Our focus is going to be on finding scratches in a week that saw six points out of six. It's tough. I, you know, I think Broussard is someone you look at. A, you know, he, yeah, he was going to be my scratch because, I, and of course, he gets the empty net goal, which I don't completely discount empty net points. You're out there for a reason, 
But the yeah. reason is because he's old. They think he's a good defensive player, which he's not. He actually did make a good f- defensive play yesterday, which I was just shocked at. But well, you know, he Pete, is a smart Pete even broke it down during the telecast. I was like, hey, Derek Broussard <laughs> did something pretty cool in the defensive zone. Hey, he's a smart player. He can read the play. That That's yeah. not his issue. So he can read the play defensively, but he's just been getting killed the last two games just absolutely killed in the shot share, which is a small sample size, but he is one of the lowest Corsi players since he arrived on the team. And his goals for is 27%. That's just really bad. And that even includes the empty net goal yesterday. So well, I remember just... putting up the thing after the first period in Dallas and he was like a plus one minus nine. And like, it, I mean, everyone else was over fifty percent, and it was just then he had that, more minuses just like, than any defenseman in that game. Yeah, that that's hard to do. Right, and that's just sort of saying like, when this guy's on the ice, some bad stuff's happening. So yeah, like he is not a defensive player, and it's not his fault that that Migo and Landy went down, and he has to over get overplayed. But that's on the coaching staff, like. He he was a third liner when you brought him in. That's what he is. And, and he, that's he actually looked decent you. with Jost and Calvert. You know, that's right. that's the best he's probably looked. <clears throat> um, you know, it's like I, I I think when he was playing with McKinnon, it's just sort of like, you know, that's just yeah. not who he is. Right, but it's like in these last few games when all the other third liners had to get overplayed, he's been the worst of the bunch, and. Two points now, or three, sorry, three points now in 13 games. That's not getting it done on the other end of the ice. He hasn't contributed an assist at all. His goals were on the power play, empty net, and one even strength goal. He's pretty much a black hole at this point. Yeah. And um, there's some sentiment out there where he's still like a great addition. I, I think <laughs> that's, that's coming from folks who don't watch the game. I think that's pretty roundly debunked at this point. <laughs> You'd be surprised. Yeah, I think you can. Think you there's... can keep arguing that all you want. You're just wrong. So sorry. Yeah. <laughs> as as I kind of alluded to earlier, I'm going to toss a scratch in Eric Johnson's way, even though he did score the goal. It was kind of an it was, it was an odd goal that he didn't set up himself for sure. Um, but it's in he general, definitely he's... hasn't. Just been so, had a good week. He's been so disengaged defensively. I can you see him all the time. He's not even moving his feet. Like, come on. Yeah, I mean, I think he's really suffering with being overplayed, and I, you know, maybe they're trying to ameliorate that a little bit by having seven defensemen. But it's you know, it's obviously not working. That's not what they're doing. Um, I, yeah. which I, may, I it just makes no sense. You're playing more defense, and then you end up overplaying EJ. Like, yeah, to me, that it's like, how do you arrive at that? I know. No, it's just it's you know if if you're trying to keep EJ fresh for the third period or whatever your your goal is to try to you know lower his minutes a little bit and you're not doing it anyway. I mean, it's like you know what are you looking at when your shift charts are there? I mean, are, are you saying like no, this is cool, we can make up for it later or whatever? But it's it's like mm-hmm. Sam's numbers are still decent. So it's like almost every other shift he takes away from Sam is poor. So it's like, stop doing it. Yeah. 
<laughs> I just have to hope that it's because he's being overplayed and not because he's about to hit the wrong age, wrong side of the aging curve. Um, because that is like he's not in his twenties anymore. And it's weird. Cole's minutes are really low lately, and maybe you know that's probably a good thing. Maybe that's why he looks so good. But you know, it's like maybe Cole can take one or two of those shifts, and you know, we'll see how that goes. But it just, I, I really think they need to limit his minutes more than they are right now. <clears throat> um, I had a, I hate to do this, but Zadorov's play yesterday when he gave up the goal. That's, so that's, that's a scratch play. <laughs> that was so bad. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I hope Grubauer was saying "man on" or something like that. If he wasn't, then maybe that's not totally on him. But man, that was bad. <laughs> I mean, Patrick Kane is basically touching his butt and just drop passes. Yeah, too yeah. <laughs> and no, you may not know that's Patrick Kane, but you know it's not your friend. Yeah. <laughs> And again, Gruby should be sitting there, man on, man on, man on. I mean, <laughs> so, I mean, there, you know, there could have been some communication errors there, but man, that's just, I just hated watching that because um, he had another questionable play earlier in that period or earlier in the game. And, you know, you're just like, oh, it's one of those games. You know, it's like Z's been playing pretty well lately, but it's, you know, every once in a while he's got that game. And tomorrow, yesterday was that game. So just in but case that... uh, anyone was wondering how much goaltending matters, um, the last two shows we, scra- like someone on the panel, scratched the entire coaching staff and front office yeah, organization. That was me. And yeah, that well, you were, Yes, you were one of them, but not all of them. Um, and... This week, even though we spent plenty of time being like, why are you doing it this way? It's causing problems that Grubauer is covering up. Well, we then did not scratch the coaching staff this week. They won. <laughs> I, guess, I mean, I think this whole podcast has been a scratch of the coaching staff for yeah. the most part. So I, 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 the reasoning I gave last week hasn't changed. I haven't seen any better organizational decisions at the NHL or the AHL level in a week. But yes, hey, they won. They won all three games this week. They're on a four-game winning streak. They're realistically back in the playoff picture. So sure, they must must be doing something right. I mean, there's so many things. Like, you know, the way Pratt's using the defense, that's kind of scratchy. Bednar having no lines, you know, that's... <laughs> That's I guess bold. that was fun, but we'll, it's we'll really dumb. <laughs> I mean, there's, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of, yeah, but there. <laughs> but hey, fine. Keep it going. Win every game now to the end of the season. It's like, maybe it works. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Krubauer made 44 saves in Dallas because there weren't lines. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so a little bit of uh, of news this week kind of trickling out through you know sort of the hockey reporters around the team especially bsn denver who you know friend of the show uh that shane bowers rumor has that he may be staying in college next season And it's it's yeah. not real clear like whose decision that is, whether that's his or the organization's. But my gut reaction is to be a little discouraged by that. 
Yeah, it's. I mean, I from his perspective, I can kind of see it. You know, a lot of college guys look at going to college as a way to avoid spending a lot of time in the AHL. Um, he did not have as good a season in his sophomore year as he did last year in his freshman year. <clears throat> so I, I can see some concerns on the Avs end as well, especially offensively. I mean, it's, I think defensively, you know, you're, you're going to think that's pretty solid no matter what. Um, but for, for, for a guy with his talent and where he was taken and sort of where you, you're probably envisioning him in the Avs lineup in the future, you're going to need some offense and that's, that's what kind of tailed off this year. So I, I can see hesitation on both sides. Um, I think it'd be great if he was in the AHL next year with the Eagles, they could really use him. but um, you know, we'll see how this plays out over the next few weeks. And if anybody says anything about reasons, but um, it's understandable, but disappointing. It, for me, it, it's it's not so much about him staying in school, which is is understandable, and Chell is also understandable. Even though I think I don't think he's the level of player that's going to be able to avoid it entirely. Maybe it reduces by him going back to school another year, but I don't know if he can just completely skip it and go straight to the NHL. I don't think he, I mean, I think he could do what Comfort did and play three years in college and, you know, a half year in the AHL, but I mean, he's, he's not getting out of that. Right. And so I think by delaying it a year also does kind of like kick your timeline down the road because if he was able to come in right now, play in the AHL for the last six games they have and whatever playoffs should they have playoffs. I think that's a huge stepping stone that I think would have put him in a much better position going into the fall. But, like, if it's next year, he's just going to maybe have to do the same thing. The other thing is when you get a guy into his junior year, he starts to get leverage. And then you have to wonder what what things the avalanche have to do to get him signed? Are you burning a year at that point? Are you promising him a spot on the NHL roster in the fall? You know, these are all things that. I mean, they got Comfer signed, so well, they can do it. Everyone's different, though, right? Like, yeah. This is a guy I mean, that. They, they, they can do it, at least. Right. But they also didn't get Comfer to, to sign early or go to the AHL. So I, the reason why Confer signed is because every single good player on Michigan had left. And if yeah. those guys had stayed, I think he was going to stay too. So those are things that come into play. Um, there's going to be younger good players for him to build around then. So... You, if the abs aren't signing him now for whatever reason, you have to have an end game. You can't just kick the can down the road. And if you're not offering him a contract, if that is indeed what it is, you're going to have to figure out what the ramifications of that is. And then what you're going to have to promise in the next year. Like, this all doesn't happen in a vacuum. It's not just like, oh, school's wonderful and you can develop so great there. Like, there's a lot that goes into it. 
there's a lot about a guy staying an extra year that becomes relevant. And you can't just look at it on the surface. And we also have to look at the fact, like, when Joe signed, I know that's a totally different situation. The team was in the can and everything like that. But um, he didn't sign, like, the first day he was eligible or anything like that, too. And this just could be posturing on both sides. And you know, he might Maybe. end up coming to Loveland in another week or two. I'd say if it's going to happen, it'll happen this week. Like, you'll probably see some of his teammates sign, like, if Fabro or... Whoever I've I've watched, kind of the guys that have gone through that that their school has been eliminated. It usually happens during that first week. That yeah. and it's true he could sign any time between now and the summer, fall, whatever. But if you're going to sign now, you're giving up the opportunity to play games. So I'd say it's pretty unlikely that he's just randomly going to sign in like June. Mm-hmm. Like it's kind of now, or it's going to be another year. Yeah, but I mean, we're very early in this. Like Boston was, you know, they were eliminated sure, Friday I mean, night. Yeah, it's it's Saturday. It's Sunday afternoon. Sure, like it's not a problem that he hasn't signed right now. But if he hasn't signed by a week from now, he's probably not going to. If it was just that he yeah. hadn't signed, no, no one would be talking about it. It's that the rumor is that he's probably not going yeah. to right now. Right. <clears throat> and the other thing was is that he said over the summer that he, he envisioned one more year that the rumors have been like he is kind of thinking about it. So for him for it to be a no and to be a no this early is a little curious. Right. Like, and we that's, kind of felt like that's where my was always come from because yeah. he really did sound like, you know, he was ready to, to leave after one year. But um, I also look at you know, the the season that BU had and the season that he had were probably not what he was envisioning. And we saw how Kale McCarr was, you know, pretty much dead set on returning to UMass because he wasn't satisfied with the progress that he made, you know, and that was his freshman year. So it's a little bit different. But, you know, I can definitely see a player like Bowers who really did well and, and got a lot of accolades his freshman year and, and sort of faded a bit. Um, wanting to go back and, you know, do better and do better with the team. So, you know, I, I know that sounds silly when you're talking about a pro career, but, you know, if, if you get inside the kid's head a little bit, you can definitely see how that, you know, that might be important to him. He had a successful World Junior run this year, so that's a point in the positive direction. Well, like I said, if it's just about him Want, preferring to develop in college versus pro, which I I don't know. That's tough to give up because who's to say he wouldn't get? I mean, haha, this is the Avs, but who's to say he wouldn't get called up next year? See some NHL time. I mean, if you're giving that up, it, there's just a lot more to it. Like I said earlier, it's it's never so innocent that it's just about what's what's the best for development i wish it was but it's not so mccarr is also an ncaa player that the colorado avalanche have the rights to and may see him soon may not see him soon we'll kind of find out what the rest of his season is going to look like to later today i think yeah he he should he'll play two 
games next weekend, or you know, if he wins the first Hopefully one, play the second one. <laughs> <laughs> but it's very real that by this time next week, that his season could be done, and we yeah. could be talking about the Macar watch, which. That's also another very, like, everyone says he's leaving school and this and that, but there's still a lot of to be determined. Is he coming to the Avs? Is he going to burn a year of his contract, which would make him eligible for the expansion draft? Is, is he willing to go to the AHL and play there the rest of the season? Does he just sign for next year and say, I'm, I'm staying in Massachusetts and you'll see me in the fall? Or is it a, another issue where he's going to want some promises and the Avs are going to have to pony up? So, but yeah, that, by, that's going to be another one. By this time next week, if UMass loses one of their two possible games, probably in Manchester, New Hampshire next week, um, he could be eligible to you know, play the last week with the Avs. Um, or with the Eagles, they have a week of regular season past the Avs regular season end. <clears throat> um, and also a guy that we've been looking at as a maybe uh, to come out of college is Cameron Morrison, who's a junior at Notre Dame. He won he scored the championship winning goal in the Big Ten championship on Saturday night, and they will be heading to the NCAA tournament as well. So he could be available as early as next week if that's some if that's something that he and the Avs want to do. The rumor with him was always that he was very interested in going to school for four years. Yeah, and I would be okay with that. I don't think he's had the type of college career where you are trying to aggressively sign him. But I guess if he's Bowers... also a hero, though he's, he's a total <laughs> hero. The I Eagles bet... could use a hero. But I guess if Bowers is off the table, they're you're gonna they're gonna need some guys to come in to sign because just having Henry as your incoming class isn't enough. And I don't yeah. know what you can count on from the draft. I mean, maybe you'll get one guy that will that will be part of your system next year from the draft. I don't see how you're gonna get more than that. So they're gonna have to sign some guys one way or the other. So if, if Bowers is a no, does that mean Morrison's more likely just because they need somebody? Maybe that's possible. But the, the same considerations will be for him. Is he willing to go to the HL? Is he willing to go to the HL this year? Does he want a year burned off to sign? Like All these things are always relevant when you're signing college players, and they're all going to ask for different they're different aspects of it, but there's usually something to getting these guys to sign. So, but yes, like Earl said, he is definitely a possibility. So we'll see what happens with him in the coming week. The coming week. That's another thing I have to talk about. You want me to? Sure. sure. So the Avalanche play tonight in Chicago to complete the home and home, which will have ended by the time you hear this show. And I hope they won. Me uh, too. And through two periods, the Islanders are up one to nothing on the Arizona Coyotes. So if that holds and Colorado win tonight, they would have a three-point cushion. Whoa. Yeah. The rest of the week's pretty big too. On Wednesday, the Red Hot Vegas Golden Knights are in town at eight o'clock Mountain Start at home, and it's on NBC Sports. Oh no. Again. 
And then on Friday, yeah, it's a national game tonight too. Then on Friday, it's a 7 o'clock home start against the Arizona Coyotes. And Colorado have the entire weekend off. So, from those three it's games... a lot of scoreboard watching. It's a lot of scoreboard watching. But as long as you have... The Avalanche are in a position right now that as long as they win their games, they're in. They can, they can control their own destiny. They just have to play better than the teams around them. like Or just consistently the same as the teams around them. But there's two extremely winnable games here and one real, real tough one. Because Vegas are... Oh, boy. Yeah, that's... The Vegas game to me is just sort of like, you know you're going to lose it and just sort of... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Try to to take the positives where you can out of that one because the big game is on Friday. Definitely. They're going to have to beat Arizona. That's... Yeah. And it's interesting that the Avs are playing Arizona on Friday in sort of a, not a winner-take-all, but that could go a long way to determining the eighth spot. Uh, While at the same time, the Eagles and the Arizona's uh, farm club, the Tucson Roadrunners, will be playing a two-game set in Tucson um, that that could determine the, the fourth and final spot in the Pacific Division of the AHL. So that's that, that's a fun little parallel, so it'll It'll be a big Arizona-Colorado weekend. I also believe Arizona and Minnesota play this week. I think it's after the Avs game, but either way, it's it's right around. So They do. They play on, I think, Sunday. Yeah. So Minnesota that, looks done to me. They, yeah, they, they look terrible. Yeah, they had a nice dead cat bounce after the deadline, but they, they've been garbage since. And I, Arizona, I'm sorry for the Arizona fans, but you just, this is not a team that you're really going to count on to be able to, <laughs> I don't know, dominate down the stretch. So right now I'm watching the 17th straight start for their goaltender. I mean, that's a lot of workload. Yeah. They've done a good job with the injuries they've had. Great start. They've, they've definitely have done a good job to get in the race and stay relevant, but I wouldn't exactly say they're that threatening. So uh, They're pretty threatening to us right now. <laughs> if, uh... I know. I know the Avs are certainly a flawed team of their own, which we spend copious hours discussing, but um, it's, it's really a game that the Avs should be able to win. If Colorado yeah. do their job this week and win two out of three, they should be in a yeah. very good position going into the following week. Um, which is why I'm going to predict three points, not four. I think they'll lose in overtime to Arizona because all these playoff race games go to overtime and the Avs can't win. Yes. It is true. Almost every game is a three-point game when you're scoreboard watching. I'll say I'll four. The they're, on, they're on a roll, so... Keep it, keep it going. I think they'll lose in overtime tonight and beat Arizona. And that's probably that'd probably be better for them. It is a better outcome. It's a much better outcome. Yeah, they're they're gonna really struggle on Wednesday. Big donuts, a great word for it. (laughs) (laughs) But at least it should be watchable because they'll be getting crushed by you know the Paul Stastny, Mark Stone, (laughs) Vegas Golden Knights. And I like Vegas, so that's cool. But I really don't, but their forwards are really good to watch, at least. 
I never watch them because they're on too late, but you know, they, they seem, I don't know. I, I, you know, obviously getting stone at the deadline was kind of a coup and they've really taken off since then. That's a true move that moves the needle that that's a deadline move that makes a difference. And it's crazy because they didn't even have to use a first round pick for that move. And they signed him to an extension. Like, yeah. Like that's a well deadline done, deal that gets that, that gets you <laughs> back to the cup final because it puts them a step above San Jose, in my opinion. Yeah, because like, like those two teams are probably going to face up in the first round, and you've got that scoring threat against the Martin Jones San Jose Sharks. Good luck. Yeah, and then Calgary has pretty much the same problem as the Sharks do. Is they they also don't have a goalie, so. Um, you know, assuming Calgary beats who, you know, Dallas probably, um, it's a fair they'll assumption. Fa- they'll fa- right. They'll face each other in the second round. And, you know, you, you pretty much have to take flurry over whatever in, in the flames net there. So, I mean, they're, they're rolling and looking good. So then you're looking at a Western final. That's like Vegas, probably Winnipeg or Nashville or Colorado. Arizona Arizona going all the way no it'll be the blues obviously yeah I just I hate the format so much maybe this is something we can complain about later but I just I hate the divisional format I hate that the western conference final has to be pacific versus central I just yeah it's dopey it's it's just like Groundhog Day. It's just like the same thing over and over again. Like the most interesting thing is if a wild card has to cross to the other division. Like that that's always the most interesting matchup. Okay, like, but the the one thing I'll stick up for the divisional matchup is that it makes the first round fantastic. I mean the first round's um, always fantastic. It Yeah, but it's round, not when you have one versus eight matchups. Um you already But have anything one. can happen, remember. That you, eight, you, you do have like, like the thing is you you do have one versus eight and two versus seven like that's hard coded in. Yeah. The problem is you don't get three six. You usually get like three four. Yeah. Right. Like San Jose and Vegas would be a great series, but it sucks that that is the first in the first round. Yeah, those are two awesome teams, and one of them's not going to make it to the second round of the playoffs. Like, that's trash. Ah. <sighs> And for me, it's not just so much that it's that it's that it's a a big matchup early. It's that it's always the same. Right. I don't. I I don't want the Western Conference Final to be one of Nashville and Winnipeg and and someone from the Pacific. To me, that sucks. So then, what you want is for. so who's who's winning the West? Is is Calgary pretty clearly going to win the conference at this point? I don't know. They don't. They don't have a lot of experience. I don't know. I, I would say San Jose. I I don't like, know. I haven't looked at the standings since like at the top of the standings in a little while. So I'm not sure who exactly is number one and who's who's number one of the other division. Um, but like the only way that you don't have division versus division in the conference final is if. You get two teams from the same division in the wild card spots. So say Dallas, Colorado, and then, right, and then they they run the table, yeah. and then they they win the division. Sure, but 
I don't pretty sure that hasn't happened yet. Not yet. Since they've had this format, so it's pretty unlikely. Oh, you're talking about teams squeaking in, which we really would like the Avalanche to do. This is very much bas- like just backing into the playoffs at the end of the year. That's absolutely what they're trying to do. But if it keeps them in it two years in a row, that is something. I guess maybe this is a question for a later time, but is that success? I think it is at this point because if you're going to be close, you may as well get in. Like my hope a couple of weeks ago were obviously that they were going to just fail, fail, fail and get in the top 10 of the of the draft and that's not going to happen now. So at this point, you know, picking picking 15th sucks. So you may as well pick 16th <laughs> and get a playoff series out of it. Yeah. Well, I felt like they were going to be frustrating till the end, which Correct. In in the midst of a winning streak, you, you can't really call that frustrating, but if they pretty much do what they've been doing and get close but not quite to the end, I think that's pretty frustrating. Yeah, if they miss out on the playoffs, it's going to be very frustrating. I, you know, I, I wrote about this this week, but it just—it's so Avs that they waited to the last possible moment to do the least possible to maybe make it in, and that's just—you know—it's it, it, such an Avs thing. It's—it's it's such a reflection on the organization as a whole i guess it also depends how they get in if they keep generally winning then you feel better about it but if everyone just loses and they get in because they have one more point i mean what if they sweep this week what if they actually take it to vegas and win like 4-2 or something like that they could i i think this team could do anything i really could i think they could lose every game this week i think they could win every game this week yeah, they're very relatable so, in that either way. way. Yeah, either yeah. way is possible. We are all the it, Colorado Avalanche. It's certainly <laughs> making the playoffs is always what you want every year. So to that extent, success. I just I worry about the big picture, which you know I guess you could say is my my title. <laughs> worry about the big picture. Yeah, more or less. But. I think it's probably more likely they do less harmful moves if they make it rather than miss. So I think that's fair. I, I think so. that's fair. I hope that's. I hope that that's the way that it, that it works out. Yeah, I mean the, the 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 big negative would be like Derek Broussard does something to make them really think about re-signing him. Yeah, like I, I make think the between now and then so. or in the playoffs. Say they, they make that's... it and Broussard gets five goals. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I would oh, like no. to think that ship's already sailed, but I guess anything's possible. Yeah, you, you can't even imagine how awesome he might be in the next ten games. <laughs> <laughs> like Rudo predicted, ten points. He's gonna have to be at point per game now just to hit ten points. Yeah, and and we thought ten was a pretty fair prediction, and it was. Yeah, it absolutely I thought, was. I thought that was high. I was thinking a seven. fair expectation, I guess. I mean, if you're getting a guy at a deadline, you can't even get ten points from him. Yeah, That's pretty th- sad. I was thinking five to seven. <laughs> well, I mean, that's kind of you know who he was. I mean, you know, that's kind of the Calvert line, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well. De- 
we we always have an eye here for the bigger picture, but right now it's a razor focus on the playoff race, and uh, this if you're gonna be close, just it's definitely better to get in. Cause yeah, the difference between pick you know thirteen, fourteen, and pick sixteen, seventeen is basically nothing. So, now that's definitely a closer than the the ten to fourteen spread, which definitely. Like, 10 probably looks unlikely at this point, but even hanging around in 11, 12... If we wanted that 10th pick, we should have lost yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> you know, at the very minimum, and probably lost all three games this week, and we did And didn't. also root for Philly and Florida to win. Because if the Avs miss the playoffs, you want to pick before those teams. Sure do. Um, but... We've said every week that hope that probably next week we'll have a good idea of where the Avalanche fit into the playoff race, and every week we've been wrong. So tune in next <laughs> week where we just kind of see what the what happens this week and what it looks like for the future because we obviously won't know anything at any point. I, I, there may be a little bit of hubris on our part to be like, oh, we'll know where they're at next week because we just don't. But whatever we do know next week, you can find out here on soundcloud.com slash burgundyradio on iTunes on your favorite RSS podcast feed catcher on your phones um, or what other other whatever whatever other podcast listening devices you may use I don't know your life um, three big games this week and hopefully at least two of them go the avalanche's way we'll find out later Are we gonna do anything for the uh, April 9th extravaganza? I let her score. What's on the 9th? You know what the 9th is? <laughs> it's my Lottery. <birthday>? Oh. <laughs> is it really? No. Is okay. <laughs> Jordan Everly. I don't know. Gets one to leak through watch. Darcy Camper. No, I'm not going to watch either. Oh, that's right, you guys. How are protesting. You? It's not that. I mean, it's like you're you're asked to sit through 55 and a half minutes of garbage just to find out, you know, where where we're picking. Well, it should be the last time that we care that much. Well, I mean, again, it, you know, I'll find out within a minute of everyone else by not watching. Yeah, if we were involved, I wouldn't watch. But come on, you one know, more hour's worth of kissing Joe Sakic's ass. Come on, everyone wants to watch that. If you follow like six hockey writers, you'll find out what happens six times over. Yeah, and even if even if you find out an hour later, it it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> They're gonna have where they're gonna pick wherever they're gonna pick, and it, you know, <laughs> whether I know about it right as it happens or a week later. Oh, you say you guys don't it. care? Yeah, I'll be Wait, doing. It's not that I don't care. It, I'll I don't be doing care literally anything pick. else, and maybe the last like ten minutes I might tune in just to just to see the picks and know what they are. But the rest of the show, I'll be doing literally anything. <laughs>